Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars, and welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. I've got no idea what number episode this is, but it doesn't matter. We're in the 30s somewhere. I am your host for this week, long returning Dom Filth on the mic, not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We are coming to you free of charge every single week on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And the best way that you can support is to rate, review, subscribe, the holy tricolon, as we like to call it. And if you don't feel like doing that this week, maybe you can hit us up on social media. Hey, maybe you found us over there on Twitter. It's at WSBF, little case, U-N. And we've got, I don't know, 15,000 followers or some shit over there. Ross will probably tell you about that. Uh, If you found us over there, why don't you tweet this out? If you found us on Instagram, fewer than 15,000 followers over there, but it's still got some good content every once a month or something like that. Uh, You could add this to your Instagram story, or why don't you write a letter to your mum or ring your nan or get your family together and act this out as a play on your balcony. How did I go, fellas? Did I get it? Is that the intro? Mate, it's like you've never been away. Love that. All right. Okay, all one take. Normally, when I used to edit the show, I used to do it in about six takes, so I'm happy I got it all done in one. We have three guests here on the show this week. And when I say guests, I mean two absolute rec- regulars, Wrestling Should Be Fun Originals, and one uh, first-timer, one Wrestling Should Be Fun Virgin. So uh, I'm here with Ross the Boss Casey. How are you going, Ross? Very well, thanks. Very pumped to talk about progress. Yeah, we'll hear about how your hangover went yesterday in a sec. <laughs> we are here with the Sultan, Shafi Freshoff. His star-making performance last week in the long-form interview with Ross. I know these guys are very, very humble, but I did say publicly on the Instagram, it was definitely my favourite episode of the pod ever. So I loved hearing about it, and it's great to have you back, Shaf. How you going, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I think maybe I should just correct you there, to be honest, Dom, because he said that there is one wrestling should be fun virgin, and I think there's probably loads of them, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's why Shafi is money. Hey, we're also here with the cousin of the boss, or the cousin in law of the boss. We've got David Brady here for his first ever appearance. I hope it's okay to say your last name. Yeah, um, but, yeah but we're going to, I think what we're going to do is we're going to get straight into the call up sheet, and maybe we've got a bit of a surprise for you, Dave. So, Ross, take it away. Okay, so our first entry into the call-up sheet is David Brady, hashtag Cronky out. He says that Luton lives, keep the PMA and drink coffee. What do you think, boys? Absolutely outstanding. For the call-up sheet, I'm not very creative. I always just go word association. So I'm going to go with uh, uh, Dave being the youngest member of the Brady Bunch. So younger than Bobby and Cindy. Um, so, so I, I guess his gimmick has to be like some sort of like weird thing where he like kind of always secretly half fancies his half sister or something like that, right? That's probably the Brady Bunch gimmick, be, isn't it? I could be the Spike Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> exactly from Bradyville. I love that. And yeah, so I think that uh, your finisher uh, would probably just be called the Carol, uh, <laughs> na- named after the uh, the housekeeper. Yeah, excellent. That, that's that's all I got. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. 
Yeah, I was going to go in quite a different direction there. Like, I appreciate that this is a podcast. People can't see David, but he looks very wise. He's got like a sort of wise wizard vibe about him. So I think I would rebrand him as Mystic Dave. And <laughs> the thing about Mystic Dave is he can always see what move is coming next. So he can never be beaten. He just has a counter for everything because he sees everything a couple of moves ahead. And the only way that he can be beaten is by bringing in PCO who is, of course, brain dead as he is a Frankenstein. <laughs> I was wondering if maybe, and then you could bring in a, a, a pack who also doesn't need his eyes to see. It's, it could be like a new faction. Just <laughs> as long as I'm not kind of being built around like the Mordecai character from years ago. <laughs> well, you'd, you'd get at least three weeks on TV. Uh, <laughs> that's better than none, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mate, I, like, sorry to throw off the podcast straight away, but I was like Mordecai's biggest fan. I was so into it. I was just waiting for someone to work like a Christian gimmick and like to, for so long. And then they just killed him off and he never even got the match with Taker, really, did he? So Yeah, that's a good point. I, did, I, I was waiting for that match with Taker, but he just didn't go over that well, did he? So... No, nah, it didn't quite work. I think Dom was the only wrestling fan in the world who wanted that match more than Taker versus Sting. <laughs> I, and I and I still do. <laughs> Next up, we've got Rhoda's son, and then in brackets, True God, Zuri's so, dad, Rhoda's son, DAR, DAR Elite, God of the Underground and Music Scene, AEW Music Contributor, one of the goats of rap, Get Aware. That's that guy's bio. Yeah, right. So I'm I'm going straight for Rhoda's son. I'm doing uh, 80s TV shows this week, obviously. Um, there was Rhoda, I think, was a TV sitcom spinoff of a TV show called uh, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, I think. So there was The Mary Tyler Moore Show, then there was That Girl, and then there was Rhoda. And they're all sort of spinoffs of the same characters. And... I'm pretty sure that Rhoda was a story of like, you know, like a single gal trying to make it in a working man's world in the big city. So I reckon Rhoda's son, he's going to uh, take after his mum. And uh, he uh, he moves to New York because he's got problems with his sleep. And um, <laughs> it's just about <laughs> all, all the vignettes are just like him, just like getting mugged by people and not being street smart. Um, but then when he comes to wrestling, he just like, keeps winning matches by accident even though you know everyone else everyone thinks that they're the ones taking advantage of him but he ends up just like you know being like the uh being the clown in a tragedy you know he makes fun of all the more clever characters or more all the more clever wrestlers in the end i like it fuck i i haven't been on a pod for about eight weeks and i feel like i've just used up all my words for the last eight And by the way, I should say I'm doing a shit job hosting. Uh, Dave, now you're an official member of Wrestling Should Be Fun. So get involved with these if you've got any okay. ideas. Man. So yeah. with the whole Rhoda's son character, probably looking at someone who's very similar to what you were kind of saying, mm-hmm. someone who wins by accident, but he almost almost uses it as the uh, sort of Rhoda's son is almost like um, Paul Bearer. He has someone coming to the ring with like a, an urn or something like that. And he uses the urn to sort of defeat people, but it's completely by accident because the urn accidentally ends up in the ring and he just picks it up and smashes him in the face and kind of goes over that way. I like it a lot. Yes. Next up, we've got Mark Sal Jenkins 
from Wales. He just simply has three Welsh flags and the phrase Man United. <laughs> I reckon that his gimmick is like uh, Ryan Giggs uh, shagged someone from his family. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I that's, that's, uh, that's my punchline. That's all I've got. Someone else take the lead. So, Ryan Giggs shagged someone from his family is out for vengeance on every single Welsh sheep in the world. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> So Mark Sell Jenkins, his uh, his catchphrase surely has to be MSJ all fucking day. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I said in a strong Welsh accent. Well, <laughs> not <laughs> touching that. <laughs> Wales golf Nick Gage in that order. <laughs> Next up, we've got blocking sled. He believes in life, liberty, and the right to snort booty dust on Snapchat. <laughs> What booty dust? Is that, does that mean, is he saying he's railing lines off people's asses? Is that what he means? I'm not sure, mate. I'm definitely a boomer now. I don't understand things. <laughs> yeah, the, the kids today with their drugs. Tell me his name again. Sorry, I just got distracted. Blocking sled. I think it would be funnier if it was blocking's head. And his gimmick was like, uh, anytime someone tries to punch you, like he's never been punched in his career. He just blocks every punch in wrestling. That's it. That's it. He just works 15 minute matches based on that premise. Blocking's head. <laughs> I, I think I would rename him Cock Blocking Sled. <laughs> um, he basically just stops all his mates from ever getting a chance so that he can hook up with everyone and get that booty dust. <laughs> that is amazing. That's very, that's very similar to what I was thinking. He would literally just be the, the going back like someone like the Godfather, but no one's allowed near near his women, so he's just sniffing booty dust off of them constantly and uh, sort of defeating everyone with the power of booty dust. <laughs> Sounds like a hell of a bloke to take on the circuit. Anyway, you know, <laughs> booty dust is actually what Dusty Rhodes's gold dust name would have been, right? <laughs> uh, next up we've got Chad Dickens who is a Southern Miss fan USMC vet four please team fireball team ketchup from West Pensacola straight away I imagine this is like if Jamie Noble like from the trailer park that gimmick was also you know the greatest novelist in the history of the English language so you just he's just like this wrestling character that's like a complete redneck but also writes Dickensian fiction. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that that's a nice thing to say about one of our listeners, to be fair. <laughs> Thomas come back with the full-on hill turn. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the stuff about Wales was pretty rough. <laughs> You've literally come back like Vince McMahon when he said he's going to destroy his creation with the NWO. <laughs> You've been away for months and you're going to get us cancelled in your first episode back. <laughs> I thought that was pretty complimentary of Chad Dickens. Like, you know, comparing him to one of the... one of the, the You could have gone a bit more complimentary and not gone sort of redneck trailer park. Like, Chad is, you know, like a Romeo, a Casanova, but he's not just an airhead. He's not just looks. He's also, you know, very articulate and well-read. But instead, you made him a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sorry, Chad. <laughs> Jamie Noble, that's all. <laughs> Next up, we've got Peter MacArthur. He's straight edge. He loves pro wrestling. He loves gaming, and he's a comic book nerd from Preston. 
I'm going to team him up with Booty Dust in a tag team. It's going to be like a misfit tag team. One of them's always chasing the snow and the other one is straight edge. Um, and, you know, it's just going to be that odd couple. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would work. Or you just got um, him going in a... A sort of rivalry with someone like CM Punk to see who is the most straight edge and who who doesn't sleep the most. <laughs> I, to be honest, I love this guy because he hasn't booked himself. He is just like an average wrestling fan. Uh, you know, he's into comics and he's into you know all these different things that we kind of associate with wrestling. So I would give him the OVW Cena haircut, put him in a pair of shorts, and call him the stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely the Preston City Wrestling Champion. I know that much. Next up, we've got, this is a brilliant name. Richard speaks softly and carries a big stick. <laughs> An odd mix of New Orleans Saints football and pro wrestling with some sarcasm tossed in for the hell of it from wherever. Carries a big stick like the big boss man. This isn't really booking, it's just where my brain went. But I'm, I'm sure, like, firstly, that's one of the lyrics from the Big Boss Man's entrance music, right? Carries a big stick. But then I think it's also... Did you guys ever see that film with the fucking sharks? And I, I think... Is, it, is Samuel L. Jackson in it? Uh, Deep Blue something? Oh, no, that's the band that sings Breakfast at Tiffany's. Do you know what I'm talking about? Deep blue sea. And the bit, he, just before he gets eaten by the shark, he's like, he does like the 23rd Psalm. And then he's, you know, and he gets to the bit and he's like, I fear no evil because I carry a big stick and I'm the baddest motherfucker in the valley. So like, I think this guy's got a pretty ready-made cool character, right? If he's a cross between big boss man and like, you know, the baddest dude from deep blue sea. I agree. That would work, definitely. So the background of his profile picture is... um a dog hitting what looks like another dog with a stick that just says bonk. <laughs> Shaf, do you have one? No. Okay. <laughs> and last but not least, we've got Summer Football. He's a Barcelona fan since 2006, and he's a fan of the greatest striker ever, Ibrahimovic. Surely he, does know, he doesn't need to do any uh, work then. He just has it all given to him. <laughs> I like the uh, thought of him having a kung fu kind of character. Maybe he's like um, a Jerry Flynn type character. <laughs> so he's been supporting Barcelona since the year they won the Champions League. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. he's, a glory, he's a glory hunter. Exactly. He's the glory hunter. So we get back, you know, the Wednesday night wars, and they're a lot closer fault than before. And each week, either NXT or AEW alternating wins, and he will only work a one-show deal because he just transfers to whichever show has won the previous week's ratings war. He's the glory hunter. I love that. <laughs> that's brilliant. So that's it for the call-up sheet, guys. Uh, thanks, everyone, who sent in their requests for their new character. And we'll DM you later in the week when the podcast is live so that you can hear your shout-out. Hey, let's uh, keep this rolling here. We've got a bit to talk about in the water wrestling this week. This is What the Nerds Are Watching. I've been watching you a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 come on. A la 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 long, a la 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 
right, lads. Uh, so I guess we should really talk a bit about progress, Ross, as you and I were at the progress return on Sunday at the Electric Ballroom in Camden. I hope that that doesn't sort of uh, uh, alienate Shaf or Dave too much. But, uh, I mean, is everyone okay if we go with that first? Yeah, go, go on, man. I think it's, you know, important to also stress why it's important to talk about progress, because that's the reason why WSBF exists. It's exactly. essentially the genesis of this whole podcast. Exactly. Uh, guys right. going to live shows and making friends. So, but well, actually, as well, like, so obviously, yeah, wrestling should be fun. The history is, um, I mean, there are a few people that were friends before we started to go to wrestling together, but um, the genesis of the group as we know it now with so many people is really just people who met in the Electric Forum in Camden. And even on Sunday, I want to start off by just saying how great it was to meet producer and editor Phil in person. What a great lad he is. He enjoyed a couple of whiskey and Cokes and, and fit right in with the boys. And I was just having a chat to him about, um, you know, how he finds editing the podcast. And he gave me a little bit of an insight into how much time is spending on this absolute ramble every week. <laughs> um, so, mate, just an absolute shout out. What a fucking hero, Phil, and the work he's doing. And if he can make us sound good, he's, he's an absolute superstar. So um, get around Phil for all your editing needs, dear listener. Ross, how are we going to do this? Are we going to walk through the day, or what, what do you want? To, what do you want to talk about? Should we do one of our drunky hazy, hazy memories bits? Yeah, sure. Let's let's kind of do your kind of how you remember the, the day, and then I'll chime in. Yeah, right. Well, I'm good until about four fifteen, and then I haven't got much <laughs> after that. So uh, the day started with me. I well, I guess like. I'll preface this by saying that I I, ha- I like a beer, but I haven't had a beer really since uh, since the 28th of December. So I'd, I'd had a few weeks off the drink. Um, not that that's an excuse for how drunk I got so quickly, but it's there. Um, so I had my first beer on the street that the good mixer is on, so I could get some Instagram content and make it look like I've been drinking cans all morning, which I hadn't. Um, the magic of showbiz. And then I got to the mixer and I just, my main memory is just how excited I got every time someone else would turn up. So I think we'll do a bit of a, a bit of a roll call. So people are going to be in there, Ross, from our group, right? We had, um, so uh, producer Phil came, then we, we had uh, Brummett, JCH, uh, we had Connolly, John Collins, the two Harrys with him. We had 90s Mike Knight. We had the boss, Ross Casey. Uh, we had, who else was there, Ross? Anyone else? Our special guest. Oh, our special guest returning once again, Lee Wes. What an absolute joy. When he walked through that door, I was like, here he is. And I think, I, honestly, I think like even the punters in the pub who were just witnessing like this reunion of these friends who had met at the wrestling and a lot of us, we re- like, I mean, there were times when I didn't know if we were going to get to go to a progress show in the ballroom ever again, you know, and it without going too much, you know, inside wrestling here that, you know, that there were times when it was even discussed with people at Progress, whether it would return. So, I mean, just, I think that even the other people in the pub were just like, who the fuck are these guys and why do they love each other so much? (laughs) Yes, um, one of the conversations that I had in the mixer was with James and him and his friend had a particularly heavy night the previous night and he was feeling a bit gentle and apparently how emotional you were talking about how excited you were to see everyone and to have the prospect of progress back actually made James cry in the pub. So there you go. 
Shout out RJ as well, James's mate. I forgot, I forgot to mention him. He was a great addition to the crew as well. So then managed to get down uh, for the start of the show at four o'clock. We did not queue and still managed to pretty much get our spot, right? Yes. Standout matches. I want to talk about Anthony Agogo. Of course, it was amazing. Yeah. What a character that guy's got in his hands. That's going to develop over the coming months. Uh, And I just, I mean... I'd be well behind uh, him in progress, probably staying undefeated until he gets to a title shot, Ross. What do you think? Yeah, I'd love that. I think he needs to be in um, super strong style. I love the fact that obviously he came in as a surprise. Simon Miller did the whole rule about opening doors here at progress and then his music hit and the pop was huge. It felt like a big moment and it was a realisation that, yeah, progress is properly back. And I love the fact that the... Pop was like a face pop because obviously he was pro-Britain and all, and all that in AEW in that feud that he had with Cody. And then w- within seconds, he's put over his indie killer character and he comes across like a bully, like he's better than this and the people that are here. And the crowd immediately got behind Harry Singh. And yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant for what it was. Yeah, my, my main memory for that is... Um how great the fans were for getting behind Harry Singh as well. That was that was just awesome. For me, I think people who are listening to this, like if they follow progress, they, they don't need a rundown of the results, right? They're probably more interested in the things like who lost the shot rounds on the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can, so did we did we do two? So we the, did. yeah, so what till so the tag match and the six man uh, scramble. And the six man scramble. I don't I didn't lose either of them. No. Nope. Uh, but I'm trying to remember. James lost both. <laughs> did, did he really? <laughs> He's going to think I'm on the wind up there. But uh, yeah, J- James lost both shot rounds. If you're just listening to this for the first time, you're not too sure about shot rounds. All the people who want to get involved, not everyone in the crew drinks. It's, it's making us sound like really problem drinkers. But um, everyone who wants to get involved uh, picks a wrestler, wrestler at random. And if your wrestler takes the fall, you have to buy shots for everyone that's playing, basically. Um, yes. Try it yourself at home. So uh, James Harris, I guess he what probably probably dropped sixty or seventy quid then. <laughs> yeah, he was human. <laughs> <laughs> That's no good. That is so good. Other highlights for me were being able to see possibly my favourite wrestler in the world, Charlie Evans. She's just an absolute star. And uh, I'm just doubling down on my prediction that she's going to be on TV before the end of the year, probably on Sunday breakfast. <laughs> I thought that that match was really good. And the highlight for me was the lariat that she did on Lana Austin. Absolutely brutalised her. Yeah. Yeah. She's unbelievable. Session Moth, always good to be in the presence of the Moth. Shout out to Session Moth for posting that she was out in a Dublin club at 4am and was in Heathrow by 9am. Absolute hero. So things get a little bit hazy for me, but I guess elephant in the room, I guess I've got to tell this story. So... I had a lot to drink um, and I just said to Ross before we came on air, it's sort of, it felt like it's probably the drunkest I was ever, I've ever been at the Progress show. 
and there was there was one little uh, incident where during the main event I was making some noise by banging my hand on the roof instead of clapping my hands like a normal person, and I put my hand straight through the ceiling. <laughs> it was no small hole either. Uh, so um, apologies to the electric ballroom. Um, I the bouncer came over. Uh, and I want to thank the bouncer very, very much for not kicking me out straight away. I think I agreed to have a couple of pints of water <laughs> and uh, he let me stay in for the finish of the main event, which I then proceeded to miss because I was talking to someone at the bar or something. But yeah, if anyone wants any insight into the actual wrestling after intermission, Ross is your guy. Uh, because Yeah, so um, after that amazing story, um, I think it's important that Phil probably plays the voice notes that were placed into the, <laughs> into the WhatsApp group um, somehow with his magic editing hands. Um, but then we'll move into the actual wrestling. Don't punch your ceilings everywhere he goes. Don't punch your ceilings everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes. Oh, what a feeling. Don't smash him through the ceiling. <laughs> so I want to talk about three matches. The first match that I want to talk about is actually the opening match. So you might actually remember this, Dom. Um, yeah, I absolutely love the fact that, that we had a big entrance for the first match back in the ballroom after two years with the astronaut um, suited Gene Money. I thought that was really, really cool. And I love the fact on Twitter that he basically said that his favourite part of the entrance was the fact that everyone forgot that the preview video that Progress did for the new chapter was space related. And everyone was just like, oh, it's just something that Gene would do. <laughs> which was yeah. entirely what I felt. I, I did not make that connection at all. I was just like, oh, that's just Gene Money being Gene Money. It also, like, I didn't, I guess a lot of people probably figured out it was Gene Money before I did as well. Like, I didn't know it was him until he took his helmet off. I'm like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> did you think that it was going to be Breezango? Yeah, I did, mate. I had absolutely no idea. I thought, man, it could have been David Bowie for all, mate. <laughs> I, I yeah, so that match I, I enjoyed. I spoke to Conman at the time that, I was enjoying it because not only was it good wrestling between him and Lycos, it featured a lot of limb work, which is obviously something that I'm that I get a big boner for in my wrestling. So I enjoyed that. And um, apart from the ref stuff, which was a bit overblown, I think there was three ref distractions in that match, including where the baking tray was handed to like the ring announcer, and he took about ten minutes to explain what the baking tray was, why he was handing it to him. <laughs> Also, that they could have the stuff going on in the ring behind him. And yeah, Conman, obviously, as the uh, ref watch, wasn't impressed. But yeah, other than that, I thought it was really good. And then the big one that I want to talk about, of course, is the Riley and Sterling against Mambo and TK. It was a wrestling should be fun kind of derby, I guess, where... Um, Myself and James, as the West Country boys, were cheering on the Smoking Aces and everyone else in the group were behind the homeboys, Sunshine Machine, and quite rightly, they're obviously amazing. But I love the fact that we spoke about it on the podcast, how they thought it would go down in terms of the reactions that they'd get from the crowd, talking about Smoking Aces here. And it was very much that case. And I love the fact that they booked it in a way where Charlie Sterling in particular, his intensity in that match meant that he came across a bit like a heel, how he kind of got in TK's face at the start with the belt, like shoving it in his face and saying like, you're not taking this from me sort of thing. And it immediately put Smoking Aces on the heel side of a babyface versus babyface match. Then they produced the match where TK and Mambo were doing all the moves for the first three or four minutes. 
So obviously the crowd were getting behind them. And then the match slowed down a bit. Smoke and Aces got back on the offense before it went into all the moves in the dream kind of match, PWG style. And then by the end, where Smoke and Aces won the match, the real big baby faces in TK and Mambo were able to crown the new babyface champions. Well, not new, but the current champions, but new to the fans in the crowd, kind of like give them the titles and say, yeah, you are the best at the moment, but we'll try and beat you later. And then at the end of that, then Lycos Jim attack Smoke and Aces. So you've got heel versus face, which is how it should be in my view. And you've already put them up on a pedestal as the best team and they're a babyface team. So I thought Progress put that amazingly well and the match itself was fantastic. Yeah, for me, uh, it was the match of the show. And I don't know if anyone listens to this that doesn't follow Progress, but it'll be on the WWE Network at some point, And I would suggest it's as good as any tag match that you'd have uh, occasion to watch. Go and have a look at it, especially if you like flips and shit. Just like, I just wanted to mention about that. Obviously, uh, we've had TK Cooper on the podcast as well. Um, we know him a little bit. Those two guys have just come ahead, TK and Mambo, so much in what they can do athletically in the ring. They've always been great storytellers. They've always been great personalities. But just athletically, I know that they train at this place here called uh, Play Fight London. And it's, I think it's like hybrid wrestling slash acrobatics and like tumbling and circus skills. And some of the things that they do now, like I know TK is pulling out the shooting star off the apron. He pulled out a swanton, I think, for maybe the first time in his career or the first time I've seen it. Um, because it's it's actually always a really funny story because uh, one night I was hanging out with TK and Mambo, they were wrestling at the Rescal, and Mambo wised up the ring announcer to pull the piss out of TK by introducing him as the Messiah of the Swanton because TK can't do a Swanton. And it was just like a funny thing. And now TK pulled out the fucking incredible Swanton for a pinfall breakup. So I just wanted to give a shout out to yeah, like those two guys, the Sunshine Machine, for just like the strides that they've made athletically over lockdown since the last time I got to see them in person. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah, I could I massively have the same point of view as you there, Dom. And then the last match that I really want to talk about was the main event. The first three finishes in the uh, main event between champion Caranoir and Chris Ridgeway. It was a long show. I think it overran. Some fans missed their trains and things and were um, a little bit upset about it, which, which obviously needs to be tightened up in future. But um, I think it was important in a way that the four falls previously came about quite quickly because it didn't drag at all. And then once they got to that final fall, it was something like 15 minutes. And my word was it captivating. Amazing work from both guys, hard hitting, lots of near falls, lots of drama in terms of Willie tap out all that sort of stuff. And yeah, the crowd were absolutely into it by the fifth fall. And yeah, it um, sets up progress for the next chapter in Manchester with Gresham and the next show in Ballroom in February with uh, Swerve. So you've got imports coming in, which is important for selling tickets and things. I was just massively hyped for the show anyway, and I was left feeling more positive than even I was heading into it. So yeah. Two thumbs up and just loved being back with you, Dom. And uh, hopefully Shaf will be at the ballroom again soon. Um, I can't make the next one in February, but uh, hopefully in March. And David, definitely pop along to a progress show soon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, listening to you guys talk about it, it sounds like it could 
apart from breaking stuff in the venue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something would be a lot of fun because uh, apart from working with a couple of smaller indie promotions companies in the UK through what I do as a side hustle for my main job, uh, I've never been to like a progress event or any kind of UK independent event loads of my friends have gone and they've said it's really good in fact one of my friends shouted out you guys at one point when I was listening to the podcast and a guy called Patrick O'Connor I don't know if you've ever met him and he's he said he's hung out with you guys at, at progress events in the past yeah. we, we know we know Patty big Patty he um he, he, actually, he was actually doing some sound tech work for him on Sunday I believe yeah he might have done yeah yeah Pat, Pat's a great guy uh yeah I I think I actually um I had a night on the turfs with Paddy up in Glasgow. We we both went to an ICW show up there. Yeah, what a, a great great wrestling should be fun away day. <laughs> I'll definitely try and come to the March the March one because February's kind of crazy busy for me anyway. Hey Ross, did you see that Warren Banks? I, this may have happened at the show and I forgot, but he's sort of called his shot. Uh, he wants his shot at the world title at the tenth anniversary show at the Garage. Yeah, he did. Um, he did a promo after he won the match and. Um, said that whoever the champion is, he wants them in the garage. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a tiny place to do an event like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually the first venue that Progress did. So yeah. that's the reason that they've gone back there for the anniversary, which is pretty cool. But yeah, agreed. It's a tiny venue. So tickets may be quite hard to come by. Uh, Shaf, listening in, um, what are your thoughts? Sorry, I'm literally just going to have to take a quick call. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Sorry, it's work. I'll be back okay. in two minutes. All good. Ross, what else you been watching, mate? I know we, we do want to touch on the GCW show, and I think Shaf will definitely want to do his AEW rap, which he which he does so well for us. I can talk a bit about AEW because I have been that's pretty much what my main kind of thing is at the moment. Because honestly, with a lot of the WWE stuff, I've been very much put off with a lot of their story writing and stuff recently, and I haven't been following it as much. Like more of the AEW side of things is what I'm into at the moment. Yeah, man, perfect. So I've been watching, strangely enough, I watch like Dark and Elevation and everything. I literally watch it weekly. I'm kind of scarily obsessed. I even got my other half into it over the course of the last lockdown. Amazing. So she she actually knows a lot more about like the female independent wrestlers than I do. She researches it deeply and it's kind of puts me in my place a lot of the time. Do you feel threatened at like your missus taking over your mantle as a wrestling fan in the house day? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> she comes up with these facts and I'm like, okay, I've just, sure, I believe you. I understand where you're coming from. But um, as someone who only watches Rampage and Dynamite, what's Dark and Elevation like? Dark and Elevation are more sort of, they're not really, because obviously the AEW thing is based around the win-loss record. Yeah. So it kind of gives people that they're trying to give a push on the main TV shows on the main cards, so to speak, allows them to build their win loss record a lot quicker, which is something personally I don't, I've never really agreed with, even when they used to do it in the WCW days. Um, I've always kind of thought they should build more of a storyline where, you know, like they used to do with WWE, it was like the rivalries. And I don't feel at the moment with AEW, they're building the rivalries in the right way. I mean, the only one I could really think of at the moment is like the CM Punk MJF 
um, rivalry, which I think they're doing absolutely brilliantly. And it's clearly it's clearly leading to MJF being the uh, for me anyway. It's clearly leading to MJF being the first person to defeat CM Punk in AEW. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what they do with Wardlow and MJF. Like, I think there's there's another wrinkle in that story to be told, and I'm not too sure which way they're going with it. As a- I'd I'd love them to basically have have it so CM Punk uh, loses to MJF. And then MJF turns on Wardlow at that point because, um, and Wardlow then walks off in support of uh, CM Punk. Yeah. That to me would be kind of a really cool thing for him to kind of get the support of the legend because obviously in that match they had, CM Punk took an absolute pasting. I don't know if you guys saw that, but like CM Punk took an absolute pasting, which to me kind of says that maybe in the future there's there's an angle where they could work where, they turn Wardlow almost face and he work, works work, works with CM Punk in some kind of capacity. Yeah, I like that idea. That's the interesting thing about talking to sort of fans outside of your own group is that that's not something I would have ever even considered. And that's the problem, isn't it? That you, you get like blinkers onto your own way of thinking because I've always kind of seen Wardlow as a, you know, a Batista to the Triple H and expected that sort of turn at some point that maybe MJF's going to be world champion. They go down that route with the Triple H Batista WrestleMania 21 type deal. That could work, I feel that. But I, I just feel that with Wardlow, he's yeah, he is very similar to what they were doing with Batista. But I think there's, I think there's a little bit more to him. I think there's more development to come from him, and there's more of a storyline to come from him because the way they're kind of pushing him at the moment and the way they're kind of having him in segments he's reacting more whereas when he first came into AEW he was just literally like the big mean heavily spray tan dickhead <laughs> speaking of uh, big and mean I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks of Lance Archer yeah I, I, I think that I think they're doing a pretty good job building that match I, I know that the aim of wrestling is to try to not hit guys and make it look like you hit them. But I, there was something to be said for like those forearms that Archer and Hangman gave each other on the ramp. Oh, they lent into way. them for sure. That was a time when it was just like, for me, I was like, oh, fuck, I can't wait to see these guys wrestle now. And I know Jim Ross has copped a bit, especially from JCH on our podcast before. I still like Jim Ross. I think he brings value to the show. And I think... That segment in particular, he really brought some value to it for mine. When he was like, he almost had my reaction on commentary. He's like, oh shit, can't wait to see these guys back, you know, bang the yeah. shit out of each other. Thing is, can you see Archer taking the title? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, no. It's like um, it's like when Sean won the title at WrestleMania 12 and you know, they they let him wrestle Diesel the month after just, you know, to have him beat the biggest guy in the company. That's a fair point. Yeah, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, I, I that, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, and I, I know Brummett's a big. You know, this is just fantasy booking now, rather than what the nerds are watching. But I know that Brummett's a big, um, a big proponent for Hangman has to hold the title for maybe a year even, and then MJF is the guy. Do you think they could do a, a Kenny again? Yeah, uh, who knows what that guy's doing? Yeah, because yeah. he's not really been actually active at all anywhere, has he? I'm not too sure. No, nah, I think he's enjoying a break, which you know, well deserved. Well deserved. To me, at the moment, I've kind of dip, dip in and out with WWE, and there's nothing really grabbing me. I don't know whether I don't know what you guys feel, but there's nothing grabbing me with WWE either. Like it just seems very 
unimaginative at the moment. I quite literally watch less WWE than any other period in my life that I can remember right now. I always sort of, well, I think I've said this before, but like I always had that worry. There's that scene in the office and it's on both the UK and the American office and like Jim or Tim, they look at the camera and they say, I guess I could look for another job, but what would I do with all this useless knowledge in my brain? <laughs> like about like paper costs and stuff. And I sort of, for a long time, I think I had that with WWE. I was like, if I don't watch Raw and SmackDown every week, it's almost like I've wasted, you know, like not wasted, but I'm like, well, it's almost like I've lost the streak of the last 30 years of my life. Literally 30 years I've been watching since I was three or four years old, you know. But then just, I, I just had a bit of a busy and tumultuous period in my life over the last few months. And I just, I not on purpose, but I just haven't had a chance to watch any weekly TV. No. And I have not missed it at all. I'll definitely watch the Rumble on the weekend. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't missed any pay-per-views for a long time, so I still find time to watch the pay-per-view even on delay. But, yeah, I haven't. I don't watch the weekly shows at all at the moment. I'm intrigued to see if there is, like, the rumours you read that there is someone from AEW going to turn up at the Rumble, though. I'm assuming that if it will be, it'll be someone that's a free agent now, right? And I know that they spoke about Cody as a free agent at the time. Then you've got, like, the likes of Leo Rush that apparently is a free agent. Yeah. But, yeah, that is pretty exciting. And obviously you've got, Mickey James, Impact Champion in the female one, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I thought I thought the way they kind of announced that as well was a bit like, hey, we're now working with Impact. Yes, yeah, 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 very much so. <laughs> I did start watching um, the GCW stuff yesterday. I'm not anywhere near through it, but again, that's kind of my first my first experience of GCW, and fuck me, some of that stuff was incredible. Well, it's it's interesting. I guess we preface the the GCW stuff a little bit. So if you, if you haven't watched much GCW before, I, I'm I'm no expert, but I've probably watched the most of it out of our little group. And just like going into the Hammerstein Ballroom, there's obviously there's well, there's not obviously, but there are rules in the Hammerstein Ballroom, the New York um, Athletic Commission, about blood um, and about weapons, right? In wrestling, yeah. So. Actually, they knew this going into the show that wrestlers aren't allowed to bleed, um, which which sort of means, you know, light tubes, which is probably the main weapon of choice. Atticus Koga with his skewers, things like that, just, you know, wouldn't be on the cards. So then it seems that they went all out with the the ladders and, and stuff like that instead. So I will watch the rest of the show, but I've only seen up to Cardona Janela on the card, but I'm just absolutely buzzing to hear what Shafi thought of the show, his first ever GCW experience. Always ready. So, yeah, I mean, I've never seen GCW before. My limited sort of experience or knowledge of any of this, I mean, we spoke last week, me and Ross, about our love for ECW, but after that, pretty much completely uh, to me when I think of ECW I don't even necessarily think of hardcore wrestling I know that's what people associate with but you know so much more than that um so after ECW closed I didn't follow XPW or CZW or any of the other sort of companies that popped up afterwards was never really into hardcore wrestling or deathmatch wrestling that's still the case uh obviously it got a bit more of a platform this year with Nick Gage being part of the Five Labors of Jericho and all the hype around that. It was probably the Labour of Jericho that I enjoyed the least. 
so i mean why would i watch a show like this <laughs> like it doesn't make sense does it but i saw you know all the hype about the card i bought the pay-per-view and i always tend to mention that because i think there are obviously a, a lot of people don't pay for pay-per-views there are a lot of ways to obtain these things for free and i think it's important to like it's almost a seal of approval to say that you've paid for a product that you thought that it was worth the gamble of, you know, your 10, 11 pounds to watch this show, not knowing what you were going to get. Um, so, yeah, I paid for it. And I think the pay-per-view, like having not really much knowledge of it beforehand, apart from knowing that like Janela had been heavily involved in it, Nick Gage had been involved in it, obviously this Cardona stuff, having a little bit around it. So coming in fairly new, I think it was a bit of a mixed bag of a pay-per-view. I... <laughs> had notes and they've just all been taken away so i'll try and go off the top of my head but uh i think was the first match the ladder match yeah yeah Yeah. so that was i mean on this card generally there were some moves some spots that made me wince um because some of the things they did look so dangerous not even necessarily deliberately but some of the landings that people took were so rough and perhaps no more so than in this match uh the, the opening match there seemed to be a, a lack of understanding that if you stand on top of a ladder and no one holds it and you propel yourself sideways, then the ladder is going to go in the opposite direction. Yeah. Um, and a few guys fell foul of that. So probably um, mostly AJ Gray. I'm just helping you out, Chef, because maybe you're not completely sure about all the workers' names. So AJ Gray took a really big spill off the top of the ladder, didn't he? And he, he went on to win the match, though. Um, yeah, Prim Reefer as well. I think there was a bit of a botch with him. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was very rough. The match, and and, and also the another problem. I hope I'm not stepping on your notes here, Shaf. But the the to me, it looked like the finish was botched. Um, yeah, I think uh, John Wayne Murdoch must have been meant to do a run in to stop Cologne from getting the brass ring, and he he missed his cue. But this is just I haven't heard this. I haven't read this. This is just from what I saw. It looked like John Wayne Murdoch uh, missed his cue. And if it wasn't the case, well, it would have been better booking if, if that was the finish. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, as you said just before, that like AJ had taken his spill. And then when he did eventually climb up the ladder, like, he couldn't get the ring off. I think sort of rough finishes were, like, one of my major takeaways from this card because I think the finish to this was rough at best. Uh, the finish in the next match seemed to be botched as well. And possibly in the main. I know that you haven't got there yet. So I won't say too much. But yeah, I mean, in the next match, it had one of the craziest spots I've ever seen. Uh, it was a six-man match. Can you help me out, Dom? <laughs> yeah, uh, Lucha. So Lucha six-man, Lucha rules. So it was Team Ben Dito versus Team El Gringo Loco. Uh, other wrestlers in the match, see if I can get all six. Erez was there. Demonic Flamita was there. AESF was there. And... Ah, uh, oh, shit. Doesn't matter. So, no, yeah, uh, it was Lucha man, Luchador six man. Um, the idea was trying to get the old Monday Nitro feel when they used to do those six mans on Nitro. Yeah, and there was one spot in this where one wrestler put another on his shoulders like uh, like for a doomsday device, and then another wrestler went on top of that wrestler's shoulders. So they were literally three people high, and the same thing happened on the other side. And then there was a face-off, and it was just meant, just crazy. Like, it's one of, like, I mean, obviously, the strength to have two guys on your shoulders is mental, but just the visual 
It was like that was amazing. Like, you can't say anything like that's one of the craziest things I've seen. And then I think they they finished it with a, a Canadian destroyer. Yeah, if I remember, and the landing on that looked horrific. Just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Like, yeah, ASF has to. So he's already three people up in the air, and I don't know if you, if anyone at home has ever tried to do this, like in a pool or something. I know like, I'm a big guy and not the strongest for my size, but I'm fucking big, right? And I remember I've tried to do this in a pool with two of my friends on my shoulders at once, and it's so fucking hard. Like, for, for the third guy to stand up on the second guy's shoulders and then hit a destroyer three people high on the opponents, just insane. I, I'd never seen anything like it. it it's, it's my takeaway from the show from what I've seen so far. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was, it was great. There's nothing else you can say about that. The say. ending seemed... Uh, no, sorry, I was going to say that's as far that's as far as I've got with the show so far. So, yeah, um, the ending seemed to be watch. There was a move off the top rope that didn't seem to go right. One of the things for this card as well, I kind of got a, a feel for who were the GCW guys and who were sort of the outside guys. Yep. So I think you know, like Effie versus Jarrett. You know, so I I take it Effie's a, a GCW guy. Yeah. Um, they had Ali Catch. Is that right? Yeah. Versus yeah. Ruby Soho, like Ali. And then Janela versus Cardona. I know obviously Cardona's been there and has sort of been the champion, but I guess Janela's the cornerstone yeah. or has been one of the cornerstones of GCW historically. So the, the three the three guys that you mentioned are definitely three of the cornerstones and then all seven guys that were in the ladder match, you know, like they're, they're almost like... that. It's not like GCW Originals or anything like that because it's built on a lot of imports. But it's there like they are the homegrown guys, you know, that they, they, they yeah. aren't always champion, you know, that aren't Gage. Okay. So, okay. What did you think of Ali? So, they did a uh, promo video for her, which was probably the best produced thing on the show. Yeah. Like, it, it was really well done. Like, overall, I wasn't a massive fan of the production of this show. Like, I've seen a lot of shows at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and it just looks so different. Like, not necessarily always in a great way. For me, the way that I would like to watch wrestling be shot is just with a hard cam and maybe one or two, you know, roaming cameras that get you different shots. And I think they tried to be quite innovative with it and they had a lot of high cameras, perhaps in the balconies. But the drawback of it was that they would often show like a wide shot. And for, for example, in the ladder match, you would just see guys lined up, sort of led on the apron, just waiting for their spots. And I think perhaps because a lot of these guys are maybe not used to working on, you know, televised shows, often they would be on screen and not realise they were on screen and just not be selling. Or, you know, it kind of took me out of the immersion a little bit. And I, I thought the Hammerstein was actually, was lit really brightly, which is the, I have no experience with GCW, but I would have expected it to be a bit grittier, maybe. But what was funny, because you say about the seven homegrown guys in the, in the ladder match, <laughs> this isn't intended to be insulting, but the fans looked like the wrestlers and the wrestlers looked like the fans. This, my friends, is a shoot. So during this card, I wasn't always sure when they took when they did like a crowd shot whether there was going to be a run-in or not. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you're like part of the roster or you're just, you know, some dude. And it's not just even appearance, but like a lot of the wrestlers do just wear like GCW t-shirts and like fucking jeans or jogging bottoms, don't they? So I'm yeah, thinking exactly. like, 
maybe my favorite guy on the whole card is Jimmy Lloyd. And he he's in worse shape than me, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that's saying something. One thing I will say, there was a brilliant match on this uh, on this card in Leo Rush versus Blake Christian. Yeah, amazing match, right? It was so good. Like there were so many levels above everyone else. Like you could have put it on any other pay per view, and it would have been, it wouldn't have been out of place. Yeah, I like it was like, because it was meant to be Blake Christian versus Jonathan Gresham, Chef, and it had to get changed. I'm not sure if it's COVID related or what, but um, and I was I was like really bummed that we didn't get Gresham, and then I was like, oh shit, that was probably better than you know like what I what I would have expected. So yeah. But if you're going to watch anything on this card, I would seek that out. Yeah. Obviously, we got Cardona versus Janela. Never been a fan of Cardona in any incarnation, in any company. I'll be honest, wasn't really a fan of this. I've seen like quite a lot of praise for it or quite a lot of positivity uh, in terms of the heat that Cardona was able to generate. The problem with me, with Cardona and Mize, is that like Cardona's got a great look like he's you know he's got a fantastic body like everything else but i just never believe anything he's doing and the same with i always get the impression that he's playing a wrestler it makes it difficult with the immersion to really buy into the story and i think this was for me a big example of that because they just did loads of spots that didn't really make sense just because they'd seen better people do it so he came out to the sandman's music You know, and it's supposed to be like a shock, like, oh, there's the Sandman's music and, you know, Cardona comes out. But, like, no one thought the Sandman was coming out. It's just like, okay, who's who's coming out to the Sandman's music? And they did a spot during the match. Like, in the build-up to this, Joey Janela had sort of been doing the Ric Flair, Randy Savage, WrestleMania 8 thing with Elizabeth, but with Chelsea in the role of, you know, there's something going on between us. And during the match, there was a spot where Chelsea Green did this like really quick like double turn almost Cardona's over Janela he's about to waffle him with a chair Chelsea comes in and stops him hits him with a low blow which he sells pretends she's helping Janela Janela goes up to the top rope and then she pushes him off the top rope and shows that she was just lying but like it it, it made zero sense was Cardona wearing a cup or something like that? I, I'm oh yeah, so yeah, so then that was the reveal. Like Cardona, you know, took out the cup. Yeah, yeah but it was yeah. like there was literally no point in this because you you already over him with a chair. Yeah, yeah, just, like you just, gained zero advantage from it. It was yeah. like the, the match for me was just proper Russo booking. It was in New York, but Russo would have been embarrassed if he if he booked that match. But I don't know. I see online people saying that. That was the joke, that it was so overbooked, like that sort of postmodernist, you know, Cardona's in on it sort of thing, people, but it, it didn't do much for me. Yeah, like, I mean, people people can twist anything to support their own, like, their own original viewpoint, right? So um, I guess, you know, people are going to say that um, it's it's hard to get objective opinions on on the internet. I just make a point here about GCW. I've only followed the show through Twitter. So obviously I've, I've just mostly seen GIFs and people writing how they feel about different things that happen on the show. And to me, similar to what Shafi's just said there, it kind of triggered me a little bit of um, 
the like postmodernism kind of like we're all in, in on it wink wink sometimes i get this a little bit with AEW as well like the constant references to previous stuff that have happened in wrestling history it seemed like even in this one show there was about five six seven eight nine ten like after a while it gets a bit eye roll is that something that you felt watching the show shaft or was it like all right no i think you're right i understand this in the hamstein ballroom and everything else but there was a like a heavy like ecw sort it was almost at times almost like an ecw tribute show um like they've got this new gcw shirt out and it's gcf and w you know and it's a a ripoff of the ecw shirt they had a spot where the lights went out and sabu and bill alfonso were there and sabu like he he did not want to be there like he you it couldn't be any clearer that he did not want to be there Like, we obviously loved ECW, but it's been dead for almost 21 years. Like, leave it in the past. I didn't necessarily think that it helped them at all. And I won't mention what yeah. the actual um, spot was, but there, but there was, like, a, a big key moment in the um, Cardona match that was something that happened in the ballroom as well, right? Yeah. But again, like, just leave it in the past. Yeah. You know, do something new. What was what were Cardona's... I haven't even seen a picture. Did he wear um, ECW-inspired tights? So he wore a flannel vest that said "fuck McFoley" on the back of it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's what that's his bit. So you mentioned about how he walked out to enter Sandman. He does do that every show. So like in Detroit, he walked out to Diesel's music and he had like uh, tights that were making fun. Like it was called, you know Big Daddy Cardona on the back or something. You know what I mean? Like he does do that every show, and it just ties into what you and Russ both said. Like. If you're not into that, like if you think that, you know, the, as an English teacher, I'd call it illusion, but you might just call it ripping off. If you're not into the, to that kind of uh, nod to things of the past, well, GCW is probably not for you because they do it or every show all the time. You are right. Like Ross said with AEW, I mean, I don't know if you guys covered it, but Cody had an eight minute pro- or like a six, seven minute promo on Dynamite this week. And 90% of it was insider references and nonsense it was a terrible promo i appreciate we're just quickly jumping away from gcw but he framed it as you know his pipe bomb or he spoke about it as if it was going to be as big as that and sort of said people have told me to save this promo and then spoke about punk's pipe bombs but it just kind of reminds me of like the dying days of wcw when everything would be a reference to stuff on the internet like with GCW, I can get it, you know, because they are a niche or they are appealing to a niche wrestling audience. Yeah, it's, a, it's an internet show. AEW are trying to appeal to a wider audience, which is why they're on, you know, TBS. So to reference all these different things that you have to have been a fan for X amount of years to understand, because we're talking about, you know, ripping things off just to get to a rip off of WrestleMania 10 was a bit pointless. Chef, do you feel that that could be a potential downfall for ECW, uh, AEW, sorry, um, because they are basically, it seems like they've written, it's written and created by fans for fans, and it may not, it may not cross over to the younger public because they don't know cer- certain references. I mean, that's a that's a fantastic question. It's probably the roundtable worthy that question. It made sense at the beginning. And they still need to satisfy a hardcore audience, but it shouldn't be exclusionary to everyone else. 
No. One thing that's actually started to grate me recently with AEW is that there seems to be a WWE reference every week. Yeah, that you know whether it's yeah. whether it's you know in Punk MJF or whether it's Cody or you know whoever it is, and you know just do your own thing. I think like I'm watching you because I don't want to watch WWE, so don't you don't need to talk about WWE to me. And Cody again, like we said about insider stuff, you know was subtly referenced or not so subtly referenced you know walter's name change yeah like who who cares you know like how does that appeal to when they're flicking the channels i absolutely um i'm i'm spot on with that like for example they constantly call in adam cole budge and stuff like that like how many people know what that means very very little but it's a very niche sort of market really for people who would know the referencing unless you've been like you guys have said like been wrestling fans for years and years and years who would literally be able to know every single reference and it's like the whole thing when um oh, i can't remember who it was there was a there was someone who came in and the bucks and kenny were wearing shirts and t-shirts that were referencing previous characters and previous incarnations of the wrestler and people like it was being spotted by people who knew it, but then it would kind of it would stop it. People who didn't know the past, who didn't know the referencing from the past, would just be like, "Eh, what the fuck? What what the fuck is that all about?" Until the person then came out at the pay per view or whatever. See, I like. I mean, I hate to be contrarian, but I quite like all that Easter egg stuff. But what I don't like, and this is just about Cody's promo. I, I tend to not like any time that someone tells me before something happens how good something's going to be. And I'm sorry that's not the most clear wording, but like I, I didn't like when Cody, before he starts talking, is like, okay, guys, get ready for the best promo you've ever heard. I, I don't like when someone, when the commentator tells me before a match, this is going to be a show stealer. Mate, it's meant to be an athletic contest. Don't tell me that this is going to be the best match on the card before it happens. Let me enjoy it and figure it out for myself. Like, uh, yeah, I just, as a general rule in wrestling, I don't, and I don't even like it when fans do it. When I'm at a show and someone leans over to me and goes, oh, this match is going to rock. I'm like, yeah, probably, man. But like, let me find out for myself. Because everything at the moment in AEW, they seem to be putting it as a show stealer. Or it seems to me, like the, through the commentary, it's like, this one's going to be a show stealer. This one's going to be a show stealer. I'm cool with it after. Like, definitely put stuff yeah. over after it happens. Like, even UFC does that. You know, match of the night, knockout of the night, whatever. But I, I don't like you telling me that before it happens. Yeah. So one thing that was a massive issue with the GCW show appeared to be timing. Because, like, the Cardona stuff went so long and other matches went really long, the last couple of matches were much shorter than you would imagine. So we had Mox versus Homicide, which went, which was quite short. And I was surprised to see, I understand, you know, it's New York and everything else, but I was surprised to see Homicide in that sort of spot uh, for such a big show because I'm not necessarily sure that it worked. And then in the main event, it, you had the um, Briscoe Brothers versus a mystery team. Um, the first guy to come out, I've never even heard of. Um, and then his touting partner was... Nick Gage, which, okay, cool, that makes sense. Massive show, Nick Gage. GCW, logical. Uh, but the match was like five minutes because they just ran out of pay-per-view time um, by all accounts. So the finish looked, it almost looked like a botch 
or as if the pin was supposed to be broken up because I, I get the impression that they were told to take it home a lot sooner than they had perhaps mapped out. There's a lot of stuff in the first half of the card that could have been cut to give the main and maybe Mox Homicide a little bit longer, uh, but I'm sure it's the learning curve for GCW. Uh, would I pay for the next big show? Probably not, but I, would, I wouldn't be against watching it again, you know, to see whether they have fixed some of these issues that we've come up with. One thing I say is that I wasn't bored. You know, I watched it for three hours and I wasn't bored. I would rather watch it than watch Monday Night Raw. There you go. Sparkling praise from the Sultan. Should we get on to the, uh, to the main event? Uh, round table? Yep. Round, round table. Round table. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening. This week's round table visits Progress Wrestling Imports and Royal Rumble Nostalgia. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Wrestling Should Be Fun Round Table. table <laughs> okay i'm going first and if you enjoyed that uh, introduction you probably know that the first thing we are going to talk about i was thinking about this before the progress show on the weekend and actually i was wrong in a big prediction that i was trying to tell anyone that would listen for the progress show on the weekend i really thought that there was a chance that buddy murphy might be there and the reason this is is because TNT Wrestling, who's an independent company in Liverpool, if you're not across British independent wrestling, they ran a video vignette on their Instagram the other day with the catch line, secret no more. Now that is, and that's for a show on Wednesday. So sorry if you happen to listen to this and are also going to TNT and have a surprise ruined for you. But uh, secret no more is Buddy Murphy or he's now called Buddy Matthews. Buddy Matthews, uh, that's his tagline. Because in WWE, he was the best kept secret and now it's secret no more. So I was, I'm like, well, if he's going to come over for a Wednesday show at TNT, that to me probably either means that he's here for progress beforehand or Rev Pro afterwards, which is next weekend, or maybe both. And I said it's probably more likely that he does Rev Pro than progress, but I was hopeful because I, I'm, obviously I'm an Aussie and I really like Buddy Murphy. Anyway, this get, I was wrong, sorry. Um, but this, at least I'm having a go, back off. So, um, so got me thinking, okay, well, what if, you know, what sort of imports, this is just complete dream booking. It doesn't have to be what you think is going to happen, but what sort of imports would we like to see progress or your favourite British independent wrestling company, gents, uh, bring in this year, for example? So, there's no real rules to it. You can go as crazy as you want. I don't mind. But um, I'm going to try to keep mine to people that I think actually could be attainable. So, you know, I'm not going to go for uh, Triple H. I- I've got a few ideas. Um, so I was having a bit of a think about who I'd like to see in progress this year. I'm going to start off with uh, I'd love to see William Regal. Um, I'd, love- I'd love to see him work a match. And I'd love to see him do it at Ali Pali over Super Strong Style. I'm not sure if they're actually doing Super Strong Style at Ali Pali or if it's at the ballroom this year. But It's at the ballroom. Uh, well, if there's an Ali Pali show at all this year, I'd like to maybe see Regal work it. I don't know what his physical condition is. This could, could be complete fantasy, but I'd, I'd really like to see Regal work a match for progress. 
and I, I don't care who it's against. Um, Would you like to see kind of comedy William Regal or kind of evil Lord Stephen Regal kind of technical wrestling happening? I think he'd have to work as a baby face and I'd like to see him work with Cara Noir because I think Noir can do both storytelling, could do comedy, but could also sell the knee. Nice. Do you think yeah. that he's capable of doing a singles? Because my thought would, when you said his name would be potentially put him in a tag with his son who's fucking awesome. Yeah, right. I don't know much about it. I, I still haven't seen his son. I know he works NXT UK, but I, I don't. I actually haven't seen him. I don't know him. So that would also be cool. Other guys for me, I'll just rattle off a couple really quickly. Um, I'd love to see Alex Shelley come because I've never seen Alex Shelley wrestle in person and he has been one of my favourite wrestlers since 2004. Ross, I'm probably going to steal one of your boys here, but I am fucking obsessed with Jacob Fatu. Oh, mate, yes. Great shout. I I want Fatu. He is just unreal. The few times I've seen him work for GCW, I've just been enamoured by watching the guy. I can't take my eyes off him. Just everything about him, the way he moves, the way he talks, the intensity he brings to the ring physically. Yeah, just, yeah, really, I'd love to see him in person. And then the last two for me are, I'd love to see Effie and Ali come in. Um, they're probably my, you know, I said Charlie Evans before uh, is my favourite wrestler in the world. Well, Ali Catch is right behind her and Effie, I think, would just be incredible to have on UK Shores. And the last one for me is another double act, not always a tag team, but I think I said this to you, Ross, got got thinking about Buddy Murphy and I'd really like progress to book Buddy Murphy with Adam Brooks as a tag team, the two Aussie best friends. I think there's a story to be told there and let them wrestle Sunshine Machine because, you know, fucking Kiwis. (laughs) Uh, So sorry, that's just a list of names for me, but I've given you guys a chance to think anyway. So, I mean, the current tag team, progress tag team champions are, Smoking Aces, so Charlie Sterling and Nick Ryan. They've just obviously had this great match with Sunshine Machine. I would quite enjoy seeing them having a slightly different match with Birch and uh, Lorcan. Ooh, is that his name? Ernie Lorcan? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd quite like to see that match. I think that would be good on a a big weekend. Absolutely. Um, Most of mine are actually not, I wouldn't really class as imports. Um, but I'd love to see uh, Killian Dane in, in the Atlas division and see what he could do. I think it's probably a given that we're going to see Drake Maverick at some point or Rockstar Spud. And just for one quite different out of the box, uh, Danhausen. The reason I would like to see Danhausen is that I've seen like all this buzz about him, but I've never seen him wrestle. I think that sometimes things come across so much better live. So I would love him to show up at a show that I'm at. Brilliant shout, Shaf. Love, love all of those, mate. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about Rockstar Spud. I forgot he... Well, firstly, I kind of forgot that he was British. Like... And then I just kind of forgot that he was around. So, yeah, that'd be great, right? We've actually seen him at Progress shows previously. Um, He was working a gimmick where he had to work his way up from the bottom. Or was it like, Ross, help me out here. And he was like a a ring guy at Progress. He was like doing YouTube clips of him, like selling cakes and things outside the queue and stuff and trying to get booked, basically. And then he finally got booked in Birmingham. Is that where he's from? Yeah. 
Oh, mate, yeah, I'd, I'd be all for any of those, Shaf. Dave, I'm not sure if you know the Progress product or if you need to. Do you have anyone, like, on your list that you'd love to see wrestle live in the UK, mate? Yeah, I don't really know a lot about the Progress thing, but um, I'd love to uh, only recently become a big fan of him, but Leo Rush. I'd love to see Leo Rush work over in the UK somewhere because I think the guy is an impressive, impressive talent. And also, just solely because he is a big unit of a dude, Wardlow. I'd love to see Wardlow just come up like in the flesh, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. You can see him going on a run. Yeah, I can see him being very similar to, I hate, ugh, hate to use it, a better version of Ryback. Feed me more. <laughs> there is no better version of Ryback. Conman's going to be straight on the pod next week, ripping you apart. <laughs> Fair enough, but I, I never, I never liked the whole Ryback thing. But I can, I can see if they, if he's, if it's done right, I can see Wardlow being kind of like a very dominant figure in AEW. It's kind of what they were. I think they were going to try and work with Brian Cage, but I think Wardlow might have more of a talent, more of a character more of a charisma than Brian Cage ever did anyway. Shots fired at Brian Cage. I just uh, real, firstly I think Hook's going to beat Wardlow in 30 seconds um, and I'm all here yeah. for it. Secondly, shout out to Matt Connolly who has chosen to watch Boreham Wood on BT Sport tonight instead of being on the podcast. <laughs> Did you see that? Boreham Wood have got a televised game on BT Sport 1. Yeah, fair play. Fair play. <laughs> Excellent. Nice one, Dave. We'd, I think we'd love to see those two as well. Oscar, what are you saying? Uh, so I had a little thing about this this uh, this week. And we've got the anniversary show coming up at the garage. And I think it'll be pretty lovely to have someone who was on the very first progress show at the garage. And that's Colt Cabana. And I'd love to see him do his um, like old school British wrestling with Dean Allmark. Yeah, that's pretty good booking from you. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Did you just go down the card on the first show and just see who is legally allowed to still be booked? <laughs> yes, but um, there's not many. <laughs> that might be too negative for us. I fucking love progress. Sorry. <laughs> Just... Um, the, and then in the tag team world, I've seen so many people throughout the, the history of watching wrestling live, but someone that I've not seen live and I want to, because every time that, that they're on my TV, I'm just captivated by them, is MSK. I think MSK could have an amazing match with either Smoking Aces or Sunshine Machine. And last but not least, uh, in the world title scene, I would love to see the return of someone who seemingly doesn't co- seem to quite fit the bill for... Impact or AEW, and that's possibly bringing over Keith Lee for a bit of an extended run in, in the UK. Was Keith Lee in WWE recently? He was, but he was recently released along with 500 other people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being funny. I genuinely didn't know that. I didn't know Keith Lee was released. Yeah, and Mia Yim also. So why not bring her over to, to win the women's belt? That, I mean, there's, there's no way I, I wouldn't have seen that news. I must have just forgot. He'd be a great uh, strong style addition, wouldn't he? Strong yeah. style stick scene, big time. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Damo Shaft. Like that'd be a nice, uh, lovely hoss match, wouldn't it? Damo and Keith Lee. Yeah, that would be good. 
Yeah. And uh, actually, Mystic Dave reminded me of someone uh, when he was running down Brian Cage. I would actually love to see Brian Cage over here. I was, I was, I'm quite disappointed that he's been phased out from AEW and is likely to be released when his contract's up. So I would love to get him over here. As uh, Dave said, see him in the flesh. Um, and I think probably Brum will be apoplectic if we don't mention uh, seeing Shingo, maybe at a Rev Pro show. Because I know that we've seen Okada and Naito and Tanahashi. Suzuki. And, yeah, like, we've seen pretty much everyone, but I've yeah, never seen Shingo. So he's probably the best wrestler in the world that we haven't seen. So, Shingo. Here's a question. I might be wrong. Was Shingo not at the one in August, two years ago, that we all went to? Did he work a tag match with the other Los Igno Blairs guys? I can't remember. I cannot remember. Because I, I was just trying to remember that too. I was like, oh, I feel like maybe I have seen Shingo. Like, was it Shingo and Naito versus someone in a tag or something like that? I will look up the card. This will be but good then, podcasting. But I might, I might be wrong. My favourite memory of, uh, I cannot say the fucking faction name. I've been a wrestling fan for 35 years. Los Igno, ben, Los, Los Igno, someone help me out. L-I-J. 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 <laughs> Uh, he wasn't on the card. No, he wasn't. It was just um, Naito and Sonata from LIJ. My favourite thing about LIJ ever was at your call, watching them after a show at, like, the merch table. And, like, um, firstly, the way that, like, so Naito stood at the back. Like, if anyone wanted to, like, ask Naito to buy anything, that you couldn't talk to Naito or Sanada. You had to talk to Evil, and Evil would, like, translate for Naito. It was just, like, a gimmick that he worked. Like, Naito was too good to talk to fans. and then Bushi was there as well and I remember like you know just like a salt of the earth like guy with his little kid comes up to the desk and Bushi was selling masks and like the dad's like oh how much for a mask and Bushi goes uh a thousand pounds and I've never seen the dad like his head exploded he obviously was a ring-worn mask and Bushi was just trying to swindle this guy like Carney in brother brother but like the dad thought he was going to say three pounds or something he thought it was just like a toy for his little four-year-old kid and I remember just being like, ah, uh, that like, you know, the different people you see at Wave Pro. There is no way that a ring-worn Bushi mask would be worth a grand. <laughs> like, it, Bushi was just trying to carn in this guy. <laughs> Mate, I, yeah, anyway, I, I don't like masks as a, in, in any walk of life. Yeah. That's reassuring to know. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, you got another roundtable? Yeah, let's just... um sprint through this one as we've gone on uh, fairly long. Uh, so this was just bringing up your kind of Royal Rumble memories of when you first saw Rumble, what, what your first impressions of it were, what your favourite moments have been through the years. Uh, so a pretty open discussion on it, really. I'll start it off by saying, I'm pretty sure that my first one was Royal Rumble 1989. I don't think I watched it when I was two, but I think it was the first one that I had on VHS. And I remember throughout the rest of the pay-per-view, they were doing the like thing where they would draw the numbers, which was really fun. Like I, I seem to remember that Ted DiBiase drew number one, but then sold it to someone else for a number 30. So little fun things like that. And then there's just excitement of kind of someone coming every two minutes. You're not sure who it's going to be, whether it be a goodie or a baddie. I remember, I think that, that, um, Rumble was Axe and Smash, the tag team to Demolition were both one and two. 
and they had to fight each other and they just went at it and that was fun. Um, so yeah, just straight away from, from the very first go of seeing it, I was absolutely enamored with it. I seem to remember that we also had around about that time when I was watching five, six or whatever, we had a VHS of the original Batman film. And there's a scene in that film that we just reround and watched over and over again in a submarine. It's like a big old fight in a submarine. And I think the correlation between the two at the time were very, very clear to me. And it always brings me back to that, um, that footage of that Batman fight scene on a submarine from the film in the 60s. Um, yeah, and I just have always loved the, the rumble. It's always seemingly on my birthday. It's my birthday this year. So it makes it extra special for me. I love it. I think it's like an incredible piece of genius from Pat Patterson who created it. It's got bigger and better. Um, I know that the early ones didn't have music apart from the first two people. Um, that was a big addition when they started getting mu uh, music for every wrestler. It was a bit of a bummer when someone like the Warrior would come out to no music. Yeah, and, and then in terms of big memories, the ones that come, like there's so many, isn't there? But the ones that come to mind for me are Vince McMahon's win, proper silly. I was so angry at the time, but it's so it's so memorable. And the way that um, Shane McMahon had him training in the snow with beating up carcasses of cows and chasing chickens in a farm. Absolutely brilliant fun. Always good fun. I love the fact that the, that the women have got one now. There's only been four at the moment, but probably the most memorable piece of action there was Becky's surprise entrance where she'd lost the title to Asuka and then took Lana's place when she was injured. That got a massive pop. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we see more from the women and plenty more from the men and we can still have some kind of fun ways to keep it fresh because obviously there's been so many now. You always get the Kofi spot or the Naomi spot and there's a little bit of like, yeah, if it didn't happen, we'd be pretty disappointed almost. But um, yeah, I think there's still ways that you can make it fresh and fun. And I had a quick idea of how to do so potentially, whether it be this year or any, any other year, something that's never happened before is where someone is so dominant that they get to number 30 and it's just one person left. I don't think that's ever been done. And then you could have someone do a big return or have a massive face off like Rock and Austin or whoever it would have been in the past. And you know, Brock and Roman now, or whoever. Something that's never been done before. Stuff that can still be done in it. So, yeah. Just interested to hear your thoughts. Um, for me, for me, the um, the first Rumble that I remember watching was 1992. And the it was um, Flair. Everyone was expecting Hogan to win it. And um, Flair, Flair beat Hogan to go on to then I think win the title that year as well. But yeah, I, I was always kind of like, holy shit. Because I, when I was growing up, I never had like access to Sky Sky movies or anything like that. So we would have to go around my friend's house and sneak sneak around my friend's house on a Saturday or Sunday night to watch the pay-per-view. And it was, it was, it kind of, it was more about doing that than anything else. And then, as I started to get more, in, especially in the early 90s, I got more involved and more interested in wrestling and got hooked on characters. And I mean, growing up, my favorite character was probably Warrior until, you know, unfortunately he became a bit controversial. But yeah, Warrior was great. But yeah, 1992, but one of my most memorable kind of things for, from, well, two, the most obvious one is when the John Cena 
Batista ending when Vince ran to the ring and made himself look like a tit by tearing tearing his quads. <laughs> um, and also the other one was the Maven, the Maven win where he basically beat defeated Undertaker. And I don't think it was supposed to happen. Don't know what you guys know about that. I think it probably was planned, but watching that back, knowing about CTE, ooh, that's not fun to watch. Yeah, you paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I started watching in 91, but I don't think I saw Rumble till maybe 94. And so I was actually quite late to the Rumble game. And that pay-per-view generally, like, is something that I hold dearly in my vault of nostalgia. And obviously finished with the Brett Lex uh, double winner finish. So that's something that will always uh, be something I'll remember fondly. And obviously earlier in the show, you had Owen kicking Brett's leg out of his leg. By the way, how incredible was it how they managed to both fall at the same time, Lex and Brett, but like genuinely touched at the same time? Incredible. Yeah, it was good. It, I was fully dragged in and I was hugely on Brett's side. Of course. Um, like massively. And I was getting annoyed every time like they were pointing at Lex to win. It was like, it's bullshit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Rumble is special. I think for a lot of people, the Rumble is probably their favourite pay-per-view, maybe even more so than Mania. No matter how lapsed I am in terms of my WWE fandom, I'll always tend to find a way back for the Rumble. Even you just if it's only... that's the unpredictability of it. Yeah, and like, it's one of those things, perhaps less so now, you know, now that they've got two, but it's something that they haven't like overexposed. The only time you get a Rumble is, is at the at Royal Rumble. It's not something they'll throw on random pay-per-views or... Um, and yeah, there is the unpredictability. There's the anticipation, the surprise. Who's going to enter? Is it going to be someone that we don't know or... And like in terms of that, I mean, for one of my favourite uh, Rumble memories would be the AJ Styles debut. Yeah. In, what's that, 2016? Yeah. Yeah, didn't see that coming. So, yeah, that was cool. Probably the Rumble I've seen the most was 95, because I had that one on tape. The finish to that was brilliant as well. I mean, it made me so angry and so annoyed. But, like, it was a, a very clever finish with Sean only touching the floor with one foot and coming back in to eliminate the unsuspecting British Bulldog. Amazing camera uh, work as well, because they didn't show it, did they? Like, it, yeah. it the front on camera and then played his music. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it was it was very good. I think that's kind of something that's changed in WWE, not to go off on a massive tangent, but as you say it, they were happy to show rather than tell. And they didn't have to sort of show you from six different camera angles, you know, before the surprise you know exactly. afterwards it's yeah. fine um they just let it happen and let you get drawn into british bulldog being the winner uh, which is why it works so brilliantly and another one which springs to mind is actually another one with hbk in the final two and it's when taker and hbk were the last two in the rumble and it went for about seven minutes i think yeah uh, facing off to see who was going to win obviously take a one on that occasion and down the line, they would end up having their, obviously, legendary WrestleMania matches between the two of them. But that was kind of the preview, because I don't think they'd really had any interaction since HBK came out of retirement. So it was probably the first thing they'd done, more or less, since maybe Royal Rumble 98 casket match. Yeah. Was there a... I'm like, is it, I'm, get, 
I'm getting confused now about the years. Was there a year when HBK and Taker were one and two in the Rumble as well? Was that the year after that when they were the final two? They came out one and two the next year? Or maybe I've dreamt that. People are yelling at their phones at home going, no, Dom, you're wrong. That never happened. <laughs> May well do, mate. I'm not sure. I'm probably wrong. Or maybe I just made that up, fantasy booking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just had a memory that then they came out one and two one year as well. Well, you want me to do mine? Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I, so my first rumble that I saw. So I'm one of these kids that um, I fell in love with wrestling the first moment I saw it, but we didn't have it on TV really in Australia. Um, so my only avenue to wrestling was the local video shop where you could rent videos. And two of the tapes that they had were Royal Rumble 1990 and Royal Rumble 1991. Um, so I remember them both really, really clearly. Hogan won them both. Um, and I don't, I don't remember which one I saw first, but it was almost like my memory is just, oh, this is what I did every single weekend of my childhood. I got out those two videotapes. I guess it's probably maybe even the first wrestling show I ever saw was one of those two rumbles. And I just have always, like Shafi said, there are some people who like the Royal Rumble more than Mania, and I'm one of those people. I've always been, I've, Royal Rumble's always been my favourite pay-per-view you know, or my favourite show even before I knew what a pay-per-view was. And Ross, it's funny, you talked about the Rumble being on your birthday. SummerSlam is often on my birthday, but it can't come close. (laughs) So my favourite memories as a kid, Chaffee says he was heartbroken about 95. I absolutely loved 95. So Shawn Michaels was kind of like my first ever really, really, really favourite wrestler. Like before 95 in the Rumble, I just liked wrestling. And I always just, my favorite wrestler was whoever wrestled against Hulk Hogan. Um, I just used to like whoever the heel was. So for a while, the genius was my favorite wrestler. (laughs) Uh, Or Earthquake or whatever. But yeah, I, and then when Michaels won the 95 Rumble, that was was my guy as a kid, as a seven-year-old. So yeah, and I love, I love the winning for number one story with Michaels. And then over the years, like I just all the things that stand out to me have probably been mentioned. But I remember like the Styles debut was big for me. I remember like how excited I got when you know because over time you get different favorite wrestlers, I guess. And Rob Van Dam was my guy for a long time. You know, sort of my hero in high school. And I remember his Royal Rumble. Sorry, Dom, are you a fan of Rob Van Dam? I yeah, (laughs) I've got a. He's all right. I wouldn't kick him out of bed for farting. It's quite a nice coincidence that you've both got the same name, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What a, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's funny because people just called me that at high school because of my athletic ability. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, his, his, I, I'm pretty sure now people again are going to be yelling in, in their headphones, but I'm pretty sure his Rumble debut was the one that Triple H won with... Uh, oh, no, no. So it must have been... Yeah, yeah, so Triple H won 2002. Um, I think Van Dam came in at the coveted number 27, maybe, and, like, you know, dominated, did, like, a rolling thunder and a five-star, and then Booker T um, eliminated him. Uh, pretty sure that's that's how that went. And then I, I just wanted to give a shout-out, because I think a lot of people have mentioned the Rumble match, and obviously, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, like, almost suffer through the, pr- the pre- like, the undercard matches. I was never even that interested, like... 
Um, I was always waiting for the Rumble match, but then I was just sort of thinking back and I was like, you know what? There have been some pretty cool non-Rumble matches on the pay-per-view over the years. Um, I still say, you know, the only ever good tables match in WWE history at the Rumble 2000, the Hardys versus Dudley Boys. That's one of my shit. That was great. Probably the best Rumble pay-per-view top to bottom. Yeah, except for that Jericho match, right? That's horrendous. But you had Cactus Jack and Triple H. Yeah, so that another one I was going to mention, um, Cactus versus Hunter, one of the, you know, well, just one of the great wrestling matches of all time, right? And then I really always enjoyed the casket match with HBK and Taker at uh, 98. Um, and then the last one I'll mention, I know it's a bit of a rough one, but I just, I don't think I've ever watched it back um, since everything that happened, but... Just one of my favourite wrestling matches when I was at high school was uh, Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit for the um, WWE Championship. So that was uh, leading into WrestleMania 19, wasn't it? So that's going to be 2003. Yeah. Um, and I, I just remember, even though, you know, I know we don't like to talk about Schmish uh, Menchmar on this podcast too much, but um, yeah, I, I can't take away that. At the time, I thought that was just like, such a good like because I at the time I didn't really think too highly of WWE. I was just watching mostly Ring of Honor and a little bit of TNA. And then I just and I remember seeing that match. I was like, oh shit, there's some guys there that can still wrestle. That was a big deal for me at the time. Nice. Um, you also mentioned the potential for predictions. Did anyone have any hot takes for this year? That's part of the reason I'm actually excited for it because I've got absolutely no idea. Sick. That's good. David. No, no idea. No idea this year, actually. I've, no, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the Rumble this year. I'm not too sure who, who they're going to put in to win it. Fair. Shafi, are you making it free from free? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got no clue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ross, who's going record now? Who's going to win them? Well, I want it to be Bailey. I want a Bailey return. And Bailey can, I, can I say who you're going to predict now? For the men's? No, for the women's. Okay. I think you're now going to tell us that Ronda Rousey's returning, right? So I wasn't going to because I was worried that people would be annoyed about that spoiler, but but I've been reading that apparently that's been reported by Meltzer. But I'm massively game for that, to be honest. I know that, that some people are saying that it should be Bianca that defrones her and I actually agree with that to a certain extent but if it's a choice between having Ronda back or not you've got to get Ronda back she was bloody brilliant in the WWE after that shambles of the Becky's comeback and defeating Bianca in what 38 seconds or something ridiculous like that it was I think they need they need to give Bianca another chance personally fair fair yeah I was having this discussion on Twitter with someone who was saying that you've got to have the Bianca match first. And I do get that. But there is unfinished business with Becky and Ronda. So maybe that doesn't even need to be a title match. Maybe she doesn't need to win the Rumble. Maybe she can come back later in the year. Because when did she When did she come in? Did she come in at SummerSlam? Becky? Uh, no, uh, Ronda. Uh, so she debuted at the Rumble when Asuka won the first ever women's rumble and then Ronda came out and like pointed at the WrestleMania sign. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. I remember that now. And then had that awesome match with trips and Stephanie. Yeah. That was a good match to be fair. Who's going to win the men's one, Ross? This one is even harder to pick. I think 
there's quite a bit of talk that either Brock or Reigns lose their title match and then whoever loses it wins the Rumble, which I don't particularly like. I know that Becky got a massive pop for that same storyline a few years ago, but I think it's a, it's a bit lazy, personally. She's a baby face, too. Yeah. I would prefer it to be someone that's just completely out of the blue a little bit, someone that you wouldn't expect. So I think someone that has probably earned that mantle of being a Royal Rumble winner would be someone like AJ Styles. Just massively earns it. Like, I'd love an AJ win. Do you see, like, I wonder if they're still... They've still got to pay off Brock and Roman, right? That hasn't happened yet, has it? No, you assume that would be, that that's the main that that's the mania match, but they yeah. both hold titles at the moment. Like one of them needs to drop a title. Yeah, there's nothing stopping AJ, but I kind of feel like he might be uh, being paired up with someone like Seth Rollins at Mania. Yeah, like a Seth versus AJ match would be amazing. I know that AJ at the moment is very much in the in the mold of. He's a veteran now, and he's there to put over the new guys. He's been helping out Omos all year, um, but, but now that's finished. He's currently now in this kind of feud over both Raw and NXT with Grayson Waller, which I'm really enjoying. But he can be, like, a main event guy still. He's fucking great. Yeah. He doesn't not have a singles match at WrestleMania, so he definitely will. You could, I mean, if you wanted to go down that route, you could always have Brock lose the belt with shenanigans and then have Brock Roman because I don't. There's no point in ending Roman's streak on you know to like who's he facing? Roman is facing Rollins, and yeah, I mean you're not going to have him end the streak to Rollins on a Royal Rumble, so you and can Brock have Brock lose facing Lashley. Yeah, so you can have Brock lose maybe a bit of shenanigans, have uh, Brock and Roman at Mania, and then do AJ Lashley. You could do that at Mania. And that would probably, you know, potentially be Lashley's best match ever, I imagine. You put them on different nights. I mean, it would yeah, be yeah. worth watching, wouldn't it? And put the put the marquee women's match on the same night as the Lashley-AJ one. You know, that's that's a decent enough night one, I would have thought. Sounds good to me, mate. <laughs> All right, lads. Shall we take this thing home? Let's do a quick book of bingo. B-I-N-G-O and bingo was his name-o. Up. We'll do a quick triple threat. Dom versus Shaft versus David. <laughs> okay. Interesting. It's an all-male affair. And it's Scott Hall versus JTG. Good luck, guys. <laughs> Let's pick on someone who's played before. Let's go with Dom. All right. Uh, got nothing comes to mind straight away. Okay, so we are... Uh, we're going uh, a time travel gimmick. You know, this this can't be done in one time, okay? So uh, we've got Razor Ramon from the 90s, uh, fresh into uh, WWF as a heel. Bad guy heel, sort of the Puerto Rican Scarface type of thing. Big gold chains, uh, cool music. Uh, throwing toothpicks. So Razor Ramon's hanging out and he's got um, a really, he, he rolls out into the arena um, in like a really cool pimped up 
I'm not really into cars, but like some sort of convertible, I guess the Americans have like Cadillacs or something, right? So he rolls into the arena on, in this big pimped up Cadillac. It's probably purple to go with the Razor Ramon colors. And it's got um, a big gold badge on it, like the Cadillac. I don't even know if, that, if Cadillacs have badges, but it's gold. <laughs> so I probably should have gone with Mercedes-Benz because I know they actually have badges. But anyways, uh, the Cadillac has a badge. It's gold. So um, Razor walks into the to the arena, gets someone else to grab his bag for him, throws a toothpick at the bloke for good measure. In he comes. He's got a squash match against Jeff Hardy where he gives him that famous fuck off Razor's Edge that almost killed Hardy. Um, If you haven't seen that, by the way, go and check that out. Go and check out any Jeff Hardy enhancement matches. He always took ridiculous bumps in the 90s. Um, So he gives Jeff Hardy the big Razor's Edge um, and... He's about to come back, but at the end of the match, we see a clip on the Titantron. Remember, this is time travel. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, JTG of Crime Time fame. Yo, 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 yo. Chad Gaspard and JTG, it's Crime Time. Iron up Razor's car. And just as Razor is saying, hey, Chico, get away from my ride or whatever, I don't do accents. JTG, uh, chops off the um the cadillac golden badge um and takes it puts it into pocket you know crime time money money yeah yeah so off he goes runs away in his big timberland boots next week um and I, by the way i've just completely ripped this off from uh eddie Grow and john cena from uh, smackdown in 2004 but <laughs> Anyway, so anyway, uh, the next week I'm going to do another, I'm going to rip off Karma Mustafa versus The Undertaker. So the next week JTG comes out and he's got the um, the, bat, the Cadillac badge around his neck on a gold chain. Um, and JTG is wrestling Jeff Hardy in an enhancement match. And here comes Razor. He's trying, he, he, all he wants is the, um, the gold chain, which is hanging up around the ring post. But JTG manages to roll up Jeff Hardy with a schoolboy, slip out, grab the badge um, off the chain, off the ring post, and run away. Fans are absolutely loving it. Bad guys getting his comeuppance. Razor Ramon says, right, Chico, you versus me, um, gold chain with Cadillac badge, uh, ladder match. Whoever gets the chain, not only do they get to keep the badge, but they get to use it as a weapon against their opponent, sort of like the Stairway to Hell match in ECW with the barbed wire. Uh, pay-per-view comes around. Uh, it's at the Royal Rumble because that's, you know, everyone's favourite pay-per-view. Um, and uh, I, I cannot see JTG beating Razor Ramon in a ladder match on pay-per-view. So uh, Razor Ramon uh, raises edges him off the top of a ladder and grabs the chain and comes down and gives him that really famous snap jab with the chain wrapped around his... Uh, hand and probably goes on to uh, work against someone with some star power at WrestleMania. Oh, mate, loved it, loved it. And I love the fact that we moaned about people stealing things from the past and then you were like, I'm just going to steal from the past. <laughs> it's, it's what I didn't, I actually didn't do it on purpose, but I realised as I was saying it, I'm like, have I seen this somewhere before? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Mate, I loved it. Great start. Can Shafi, beat it. So, Scott Hall is in the performance centre and he's teaching a class, passing on his infinite wisdom over the years. He's obtained as, you know, one of the biggest wrestlers in the world. JTG comes in, 
as a guest trainer to take a session. And he instantly gels really well with all of the trainees. He gets on like so well with them. At the end of the training session, they're all sort of sitting down and playing computer games and having jokes. And it just, it really rubs Scott Hall the wrong way. And Scott Hall just goes off on a bit of a rant about how, you know, back in the old days, like men were men and they didn't waste time playing computer games. And, you know, they, no, they were like, these people are just kids. And that's why JTG was never as big a star as him and uh, why people don't even know, don't even remember who JTG is now. So naturally, JTG is a bit offended by this. And he says, well, okay, let's see, you know, how great you are. Let's see how brilliant you are. Let's have a match to decide what we're going to do about this. Because I've, I'm, you know, I hated my time in WWE. It was just full of, you know, all of this old time of bullshit, all of this um, wrestler court, you know, little dick energy nonsense, as CM Punk calls it, with Undertaker and people like you playing Judge Judy and trying to hold the new people down. Uh, with your, you know, boomer ways. And I'm sick of it, so let's sort this out in a match. So they have a match on Raw, because why not? <laughs> and as soon as the match starts, JTG slides out of the ring by the entranceway. And he's, you know, t- he's given it to Razor, he's, uh, he's given it to Scott Hall, he's given him all the trash talk, like, come on, bad guy, you know, you're not so bad, come on, Chico. And Scott Hall is starting to get really angry because he just can't get his hands on JTG. So he slides out the ring. And as soon as he slides out the ring, they start hitting each other. And they're really going for it. And Scott Hall is starting to get the upper hand. And as this is going on, the referee is counting five, six, seven, eight. And neither of the wrestlers are paying attention to him, seemingly. And then Razor pulls his right hand back and throws that fantastic punch that Don was talking about and JTG sidesteps him grabs his arm and Irish whips him down the aisle now of course we've all watched wrestling long enough to know that you there's nothing you can do when you're Irish whipped you just have to keep on running (laughs) and the referee continues nine and JTG rolls into the ring ten JTG wins by count out Um, and he gets on the mic and he says see all you old timers you all think that your way's the best you all think you're so smart well, I learned from playing old Raw versus SmackDown games that you can win every match by count out if you Irish whip your opponent down the aisle and roll back into the ring before 10. <laughs> Brooklyn, Brooklyn. <laughs> very, very good. Shout out to SmackDown games. Uh, David, last All but right. not least, um, making your debut on Booker Bingo. Let's what you got? What, let's see what I can do. So it's a... Uh... It's a, it works out to be a pimp my ride match. So Ray, Razor Ramon, obviously, the whole Scott Hall, Razor Ramon angle. He loves the big cars and the big kind of Cadillac thing. But it comes in as JTG, uh, crime time JTG. Every time um, they, they fight each other throughout the whole building to find pieces for the car that they, that they need to pimp. And it gets down to the last piece. It gets down to the last piece and it gets put onto the car by JTG. So JTG wins the match. However, as they're walking, as they're walking off back up the ramp to go, go backstage, Scott um, Razor Ramon turns on him and raises edge through the car and basically just walks off. And that's it. 
mate. Short and succinct, but very, very good. <laughs> Decent effort for your first book of bingo. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so, Shalf and Dom, you both had long storytelling, nice references to the past. Both mentioned Razor's amazing punch. So, to be honest, I can't really separate you, but I am going to give it to Dom just to hope that he comes back next week. <laughs> congratulations Dom cheers uh, you know not just the coolest not just the best from Gatton Queensland Australia born to play book of bingo bred to win everybody at home knows why I'm everybody's favourite book of bingo player uh, Mr Paper View Chair Smashing Frog Splash and Tools of Tower Full of Power not the showstopper the whole fucking show Dom Van Dam and you get a promo can, as well. there you go I just can you just do that again Dom I missed it <laughs> <laughs> I, after, like after hearing inbred to win, I just sort of uh, zoned out. <laughs> I did say I was from Gatton, Queensland, Australia. Uh, well played, Dom. It's lovely to have you back. Of course, always a uh, pleasure, never a chore. It is absolutely fantastic to have you guys here, and hopefully, we'll see you next week. I guess I should do the little outro. Yeah, um, and also just a quick thank you to David for coming on. Massive thanks, mate. Um, thanks for having me. Fellas. See- You've obviously got plenty on your plate. Is there anything that you wanted to plug? Uh, yeah, check out um, my podcast, Music Lives Podcast on Spotify. Uh, check out my music promotion stuff, Loot and Lives Promotions. And that's about it, really. I'm a man of many talents and not very good at any of them. <laughs> it was awesome to have Mystic Dave on. Um, you were obviously marked down in Booker Bingo because you already knew what the matchup was going to be. yeah thanks thanks so much dave uh thank you to ross the boss casey thank you to the sultan shafi absolutely robbed in book of bingo and thank you most of all to you dear listener don't forget to hit us up on the socials wsbfun on twitter it's wrestling should be fun all one word on instagram and it's wrestling should be fun.com on the website if you want to read some blogs from three years ago Outside of that, make sure you have a great week and we will see you next week. Until then, though, drink lots of water. Look after your mates. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.